Opening Arguments is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate. Then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. We have reached a verdict already. We all just kind of looked at each other and nodded. We find the defendant guilty of charges. Wait, 105? Yeah, in your bra. Your Honor, I object. You would. Bastard. Hey, quiet. Whether it's race to the cotta or starry diseases, there is no basis for imposing some draconian policy with regard to bail, nunc potunc. Your Honor, the defense is now just making up words. We came into your trial. Oh, look how cute. There's like a judge in everything. And jury people. Ladies. Welcome to Opening Arguments, the podcast that pairs an inquisitive interviewer with a real-life lawyer. This podcast is sponsored by the Law Offices of P. Andrew Torres, LLC, for entertainment purposes, is not intended as legal advice, and does not form an attorney-client relationship. Don't take legal advice from a podcast. Hello and welcome to Opening Arguments. This is episode 208. I'm your host, Thomas Smith. That over there is Andrew Torres. How are you doing, Andrew? <sighs> I'm a little bit exhausted. How are you doing, Thomas? But I'm, yeah, but I'm no great. Kidding. Don't don't get me wrong. Still great. Still love the show. It's always interesting recording the Tuesday episode as we. Do. It's not a rapid response, so we record it ahead of time. So who knows to what uh, lengths Democrats went, you know, in stopping Kavanaugh? We don't know right now. Um, you guys know we don't. We'll see. We'll see if, uh, if anything good happened. Maybe maybe you guys uh, have had more good news than we've had so far. So. But we've got lots of great stuff to talk about today. Uh, Stogner v. California. We got the Roy Moore lawsuit. A lot of people asked us about that. And uh, we might get to, there might be even more. We'll see how it plays out. But what do you say? Let's get to it. Yeah, let's get to it. All right. What's what's Stogner v. California? Um, oh, oh, I remember now. This is going to be uh, related to... The Catholic Church stuff we talked about with Andrew Seidel to open up that wound again. Uh, <laughs> tell yeah, us about no, it. we got we got a we got a really really good. I, again, we we read our emails, we take criticism seriously. We got a, a great email uh, from Charles Quackenbush who asked uh, that you know our discussion of statutes of limitation in child sexual abuse cases, and he said, "Why didn't we talk about Stogner versus California?" and um, so let me give let me give a short answer first. Uh, the short answer is uh, because I was not even thinking about the potentially retroactive application of, of statutes of limitation. But having been so reminded, uh, I went back and read Stogner and I was like, oh, man, we've got to talk about this on the show. Because, right, you know, uh, Thomas, in, in the you know, in the break, you were like. What's this, you know, 2003 Stogner case? Like, why do we care? Um, 
I think this is why we should care. But but let me clarify first, because I, I think we were all on the same page, but I, I never know when I'm doing that like sort of lawyer assuming thing. The reason I believe, and I think the FFRF believes, that you should lobby for changing statutes of limitation in child sexual abuse cases is not to go back and bring all of these priests who are in the Pennsylvania indictment to to bring them under the ambit of the law to get people who have already escaped the safe harbor. But it is to make sure this doesn't happen again in the future, right? This is an ongoing problem. And so, look, if we can't fix the past, at least we can fix the present. That was my thought process. I was not thinking about repealing statutes of limitation as potentially being able to open up old cases, right? And the reason I was thinking that is because Article 1, Section 9 of the Constitution— is contains the ex post facto clause, right? And it says that uh, Congress shall not uh, pass any ex post facto law, right? It specifically says no bill of attainder or ex post facto law shall be passed, right? And so what does it mean to pass an ex post facto law, right? It means to take something that was not illegal at the time that right. you did it and then retroactively make that illegal. And in intuitively, in thinking about... Uh, could you take somebody who has uh, the for whom the statute of limitations has expired and then alter that statute of limitation and then refile those charges? I was like, well, no, obviously you couldn't do that. That would be an ex post facto law. Um, as it turns out, that's that is the holding of Stogner versus California. So I'm going to cut ahead to the punchline. But I'm not so certain that... Well, I could make the argument that it's not making something illegal that wasn't before. It's not like, okay, it's legal to have, you know, sexually abused someone 10 years ago. Like, that's legal, and now it's no longer legal. That doesn't make any sense. And and in fact... uh this case was this the Stogner decision is a five four decision i'm I'm going to talk about the alignment in a minute um and uh, and the dissent makes that and several other very very good arguments so um so let me set it up okay in nineteen ninety three your home state California enacted a new criminal statute and they changed the statute of limitations for child related sexual abuse crimes and the new statute uh, which Good. Was at the time only three years. Wow. Um, a three year. Yeah. Uh, so you could see the urgent need for reform there. Um, and then and then the new statute had a look back provision said uh, in that the limitation period specified in the prior statute of limitations has expired. Uh, we nevertheless permit prosecution provided that one, a victim has reported an allegation of abuse to the police. Two, there is independent evidence that clearly and convincingly corroborates the victim's allegation. And three, the prosecution is begun within one year of the victim's report. Uh, and then a couple of years after that, another provision was added uh, that made it clear that a prosecution satisfying those three conditions, quote, shall revive any cause of action hereby barred by prior statutes of limitation. Um, so that's the background. And then... What happened was um, that California went and did that. So uh, in 1998, 
the the state of California uh, charged two of Stogner's sons with child molestation. And then in the course of that investigation, uh, one of the daughters reported that their father had sexually abused them for years when they were under the age of 14. So then they indicted, uh, the grand jury issued an indictment for Marion Stogner. That is the man's name, M-A-R-I-O-N. Um, and, uh, Grand jury found probable cause. Uh, Stogner was indicted, and he claimed that um, the specific statute uh, repealing the prior, you know, granting an exception to the prior uh, statute of limitations was an unconstitutional ex post facto law. The Supreme Court agreed, but the Supreme Court agreed in in Stogner versus California. This is a five four decision in which the majority were the five liberals on the court at the time. Huh. Breyer, Stevens, O'Connor, Souter, Ginsburg. The minority, the the vigorous dissent was a Kennedy opinion joined by Rehnquist, Scalia, and Thomas. And that dissent, again, uh, you know, I'm not, I totally understand the reasoning for the liberals. I don't, I, I, in no way do I mean to suggest that this was a poorly reasoned decision. Um, I, as I said at, at the outset, uh, it, it is kind of intuitive of if you are if on day one you could not be charged with a crime and then the legislature passes a law and on day two you could be passed, you could be charged with a crime under an expansive view of what the ex post facto clause prohibits uh, I, that seems to fall within it. Right. So so I get the majority opinion. Um, Kennedy's dissent is. You're telling me the liberal majority (laughs) was on the other side of this issue and all of the bad guys from every movie were on the right side of the issue? Correct. That is... Who was this? Well, Alito was not yet on the court. Oh, not yet Alito. This is 2003. Yeah. So, but this was Kennedy, uh, Rehnquist, Scalia, and Thomas. So, you know, not... (laughs) uh, at, at, At least... Right, at least one villain still on the court. Was this uh, one a, a Freaky Friday villain. situation where they <laughs> they all there's lightning struck in the court somewhere in the chambers I, and they all like switched? Wow! Remember that. Remember that uh, the that conservative jurisprudence on law and order issues right tends to be pro prosecution right, and so that's that's kind of how this this shakes out right this is the the was this before is a, they realized the catholic church tie-in or something or like well how? remember that uh and 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 i i don't that is not present in this opinion and scalia was a very very staunch catholic yeah so i i don't think if you'd written it that way i i, I think he maybe wasn't thinking about about it at the time i i don't know how when you're making jurisprudence on uh child sexual abuse it, it wouldn't occur to you but um but but no it's not it, it is not present in in this opinion um but i i do want to uh i i do want to make the argument of which i was not aware uh that kennedy makes in the dissent this is page 638 of the dissent um in which uh it's evaluating arguments made in the majority opinion um and uh, and it says uh, when uh, when we're evaluating these cases, um, 
Henry Black, uh, the commentator upon whose work the court relies the most, openly acknowledged that the revival of expired statute of the limitations is not covered by any of the categories in this prior case. Black, again, the commentator, moreover, relied on the example of the civil statutes of limitations, which he believed could not be revived. Okay, so think about this. Follow the logic. They're saying that uh, in understanding what the ex post facto law means, we look to this commentator, Henry Black. And Henry Black said, yeah, ex post facto means we couldn't revive prior statutes of limitation. Okay, And the specific example he was talking about was not a criminal statute, but civil statute, right? In which, again, as I've said on the show, uh, in, in my view, the case for civil statutes of limitation is significantly greater than the case for criminal statutes of limitation, right? Like they, you have the same destruction of evidence problem, uh, but in the civil lawsuit, you know, you have much more the notion of, uh, you know, the sort of Damocles hanging over your head and, you know, sympathy for uh, potential civil defendants as opposed to, you know, criminal defendants. Then here's the, the, the part that made me want to talk about this on the show. The court's later case law has rendered this interpretation questionable. C.E.G. Chase Securities Corp. v. Donaldson, 325 U.S. 304, case from 1945, um, in which the the Supreme Court said uh, you can go back and you can reopen prior statutes of limitation in civil cases, right? Permit somebody whose cases were foreclosed uh, to bring a civil lawsuit by changing the statutes of limitation, and that is not an ex post facto law. So ultimately, Kennedy concludes, uh, the law's approach to the analogous problem of reliance by wrongdoers in the civil sphere is instructive. We have held that expired statutes of limitation can be repealed to revive a civil action. That's the Chase case uh, that, I, that I described. And then a subsequent 95 case reaffirming it. These holdings were made in areas of contracts and investments where reliance does exist and does matter. We allow the civil wrong to be vindicated nonetheless. If we do so in the civil sphere where reliance is real, we should do so in the criminal sphere where it is, for the most part, a fictional construct. And again, the, the, the contrast here is, right, the, the, the reliance interest that they're talking about is uh, once you have, uh, you know, if, if, if you know that a, that a conduct is outside the statute of limitations, uh, you can desist from your conduct, right? You can sort of be deterred into not engaging in that conduct, but nevertheless, you know, gain immunity from prosecution, right? Like you're not going to do it again because now, you know, we've got our eyes on you, we're watching you and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, as Kennedy notes, the court does not claim a sex offender would desist if he knew he would be liable to prosecution when his offenses were disclosed. Um, that's that's the meaning behind that. Uh, the idea that the reliance interest is is a fictional construct. What the court is saying there is there is no argument to be made that there is any kind of, of deterrence effect or that, you know, these sex offenders have failed to engage in criminal conduct during the period while in which the, the statute of limitations lapsed. Um, I think that's a pretty good argument, to be honest, right? If, if a civil case can be revived uh, by changing the statute of limitations uh, without violating the ex post facto clause, um, seems to me that a criminal case could, could be revived as well. So I would put all of that together and say, 
I don't know. I, I, I mean, it, it's why I want to talk about this, because I was assuming that we were just talking about prospective changes to statutes of limitation. Um, I think that's a, an unambiguously good thing when you're talking about child sexual abuse. Absolutely, it should be. Um, I think it's worth thinking about uh, uh, engaging in test legislation at the state level um, and challenging Stogner versus California. If we're going to have a Supreme all Court right. that doesn't care at all about prior precedent. And we can quote, uh, no, we can quote Scalia. Be like, hey, they got yeah. this one wrong. Scalia says, quote your yeah. hero and God, Scalia. And uh, yeah. I think Andrew Seidel said it best when he said that, like, he he wants uh, people who have abused children sexually to be nervous for their entire lives as to whether or not they will be yeah, punished and, for and, it. And and we should say right, like there are it, 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 right. I mean, it is the idea of protecting a defendant is that you that you know you have a presumption of innocence and, until being being proven guilty. And and I don't want to lose that. It, it, you know, particularly in cases where you know we've been through uh, the report, which is you know disgusting and horrifying, and and details actual uh, individuals. It. it Replacing statutes of limitation would apply to individuals who are potentially innocent in addition to these individuals who are almost certainly guilty. Um, so I, I don't want to lose that. Uh, but 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 I, I do agree with the point. Yeah. Wow. That is that's really interesting. I, I didn't know, you know, different time, I guess. I don't feel like that would be the same political divide now, given the, you know, kind of the identification with religion and church on the right. But I don't know. I could be wrong. <laughs> Who who knows? But I found it incredibly interesting, and uh, and I think you know we we talked about the Kavanaugh memo. Uh, I do not think I would be comfortable saying that it is settled law that you can't have retroactive uh, ex post fact that you can't have retroactive uh, revocation of statutes of limitation in these in these narrow cases. Um, it 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 certainly has been decided uh but uh but i think under the standard articulated by this court in uh, in the janice versus ask me case uh i would certainly be very comfortable arguing before the supreme court that uh, uh that stogner v california was wrongly decided that they should revisit it in light of uh in in light of contemporary developments and and hold that it was poorly reasoned, right? That's the only reason given in Janus was, you know, a boot is poorly reasoned. Well, you know, this seems to me to be a heck of a lot stronger argument. So I, I, I'm not saying, you know, I'm not giving up. Don't worry. Andrew is still a champion of stare decisis here. Uh, I'm just saying that uh, that the question was more interesting than I expected. Interesting. Well, yeah, thanks for the breakdown. That's that. I wasn't expecting that either. Modern technology is at the forefront of the fight against terror. One time, I killed a suicide bomber with an iPad Pro, but luckily I had bought AppleCare. I'm going now to meet a respected politician to showcase the latest Israeli gadget. I'm sitting with Roy Moore. Alabama Republican Senate candidate Roy Moore is facing accusations of sexual misconduct for women. One accuser says that Moore initiated a sexual encounter when she was just 14 years old. Get out and vote for Roy Moore. It's just Alabama has always been a state that valued freedom, valued uh, liberty. Of course. And uh, appreciated what people went through to get it. 
And I think that... Uh, Alabama has always been a place for equality. It has. In Alabama, people have always been free, whatever the religion or race or sexuality. Well, it's, it's part of our heritage. All right, now it's time to talk about this. Now, I, oh, man, this is uh, <laughs> involves the show, I think it's Who is America, right? I always mix up the yes. name, but it's Sasha Baron Cohen's show. I've watched every episode of this thing. It's the most uncomfortable thing ever. And normally I, I hate this kind of stuff. Like I don't really like like prank people show thing. I'm not really into that. But when it's people like Roy Moore <laughs> or when it's Republicans who uh, are horribly racist and are, you know, being exposed in their racism um, in a hilarious manner by Sasha Baron Cohen playing these characters, I, I, I watch it. It's painful and I cringe the entire time. But uh, but it's kind of like one of those things where it's a it's a it's a real bad guy, and so I don't mind that they're being a little embarrassed. Um, but Roy Moore, I it sounds like uh, you know didn't didn't take too kindly to his having been embarrassed by Sasha Baron and <laughs> The skit was hilarious. So in this sketch with with Roy Moore, <laughs> uh, Sasha Baron Cohen is is playing this Israeli anti-terrorism expert. That's one of the characters he does. Oh, it's so funny, and he has <laughs> he's interviewing Roy Moore. And he claims that he's got this like technology, uh, this wand, like it's like a metal detector wand, but he claims it's an Israeli invention that detects pedophiles. And so the whole thing, <laughs> it's so funny how he plays it too, because he, because <laughs> he, he's like, Sasha Barry Cohen plays it like, well, naturally there's nobody in the area here, so it's not going to go off, you know, kind of thing. Like it's not. And then of course the, the wand, he waves it over his own, like, you know, kind of chest and pelvic region, and it doesn't go off. And then he waves it over on Roy Moore, and it goes off. Uh, sorry, is this your jacket? Yes. Uh, did you lend the jacket to somebody else, maybe? No. no. I've been married for 33. Sure. I never had an accusation of such thing. And he's... <laughs> And Sasha Vericone does a good job of playing it like, well, there's got to be something wrong with this thing. Like, and he, he like asks the producer, hey, uh, what did you, you know, whatever, replace the battery or whatever it is to kind of play off like he's surprised as well that this is going off. And so that's the <laughs> that's that's the skit, more or less. Uh, you should watch it. It's really funny. But uh, I, I it sounds like, Andrew, that Roy Moore didn't take too kindly to this uh, to this sketch. No, 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 he did not. And uh, and so he has filed a ninety five million dollar lawsuit <laughs> against uh, Sasha Baron Cohen. Um, we're gonna link we're gonna link the sketch, which again I cannot recommend highly enough. Like I, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, it uh, Borat was tough to watch, right? Uh, but um, uh, but uh, but but this is this is really really funny. Um, and uh, and we're gonna link the lawsuit. So, as always, how do we read a lawsuit on opening arguments? We turn to we the make last page. Andrew do it. And, oh, sorry. Yeah, huh? that too. Yeah. <laughs> we turn to the last page in which you find that this is a lawsuit filed by professional crazy person and uh, individual who has been censored at least, uh, censured at least a dozen times by various courts. Larry Clayman, right? So, Freedom Watch, Judicial Watch, Birther nut job complete lunatic larry clayman um there is no doubt in my mind that uh larry clayman knows and and is taking advantage of roy moore to draw attention to himself 
because uh, now why I, uh, Roy Moore again has been a sitting Supreme Court justice, right? Like he ought to know that that this uh, lawsuit is uh, is nonsense. But um, uh, but you go down you when Larry Clayman is your lawyer, you're in trouble. Uh, so that's where we start, <laughs> and then we back up. You get to the prayer for relief, where uh, uh, he uh, <laughs> Wait, it's where really he asks called for a prayer for uh, relief. Yes, wow. um, that How is. That's that another thirteenth century Saxony term, yeah. right? So, against uh, Sasha Baron Cohen, Showtime, and CBS, all of whom acted in concert as joint tortfeasors, uh, we want actual compensatory and punitive damages in excess of ninety-five million dollars, uh, as well as attorneys' fees and costs and other relief that this court may deem just and proper. Okay, so. Um, what would give rise to a $95 million cause of action? There are three uh, claims here. The first cause of action is defamation per se. Um, we have talked about uh, defamation, particularly defamation against a public figure before, uh, and the standard, the New York Times v. Sullivan standard, which is uh, knowing falsity and reckless disregard and or uh, reckless disregard for the truth. That is uh, a standard of actual malice. And the allegation here is that, and, and I want to read from the, from the precise paragraph so that, so that we're clear about this. Defendant Cohen and his agents made false and defamatory statements concerning Judge Moore by calling, representing, and publishing within this district, the nation and the world, with malice, that Judge Moore, a pedophile— I, and that's in the original. I'm not just botching this and a sex offender on who is America. OK, so let's parse this very, very carefully. Um, this is, in fact, defamation per se, if if oh, it is right. false, right? Accusing someone of a crime of moral turpitude and in particular of sexual improprieties well, is what we consider. Not, well, accusing someone, you know, how, where does the law, you know, sit? Regarding a funny sketch where it's kind of implied. I mean, obviously, a device like this doesn't exist. So, like, how how serious right. is this? Is the court going to take this? And that is that is certainly right. The the parody defense is, uh, you know, clearly applicable here. But I am assuming for the purposes of argument. Oh, OK. That, that that would not apply. Now, how that would not apply, I don't know. We've talked about that before, too. That is the Falwell v. Flint case uh, in which uh, the Supreme Court ruled that uh, Hustler magazine could publish a fake advertisement for Campari, uh, the, the delightful bittering ingredient in Negronis, which in which. Uh, stated uh, that Jerry Falwell's first time uh, engaging in sexual intercourse was with his mother in an outhouse after they had kicked out the goat. Um, and, uh, and the Supreme Court said no one could possibly take that seriously. So uh, it, it, and, and protected the right of parody under which Sasha Baron Cohen operates today. Um, the, the reason I, I dismiss the parody defense here, notwithstanding the fact that it is uh, absolutely the argument, you know, one of the arguments that I would advance as, as, as the defense counsel and like and, and well buttressed by I mean, like the the wand is I mean, it does look like, you know, the, the device from Ghostbusters. Right. Like, I mean, it is it's it's comical uh, how, how bad this is. Um, but I, I, I think I mean, the clear implication. Right. I, I would want to say in court like, yes. Right. 
we were we were joking we were we were joking but like yeah obviously like the whole point of the skit is that Roy Moore is a pedophile right like <laughs> it, 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 in in other words it's really tough to argue right to kind of walk that line and say no this is this is parody in the same way as right like Larry Flint's lawyer could could go could walk into court um, I think it wasn't Cass Sunstein. Um, I'm trying to remember because I, I I think I've met Larry Flint's lawyer in that case. Yeah. Anyway, um, his his lawyer could stand before the Supreme Court and say, "No, Hustler magazine and Larry Flint individually did not actually believe that uh, that 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 uh, that that Jerry Falwell had sex with his mom in an outhouse." Right? Like we are making fun of him for being a hypocrite uh, and you know and a moralizer, but but no, we don't we don't think that precise statement is true. Um, this is a right. This is the, I think they 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 do think this is true. I mean that that's why it's funny. I mean it is because they do think <laughs> it's true. So part of parody is uh, you know for statements that are not true. Uh, but the other half is that truth is an absolute defense to libel. Right. Um, I certainly would not uh, if uh, again. I, I can only utter the phrase if I were Larry Clayman while laughing, right. um, but. If I were Larry Clayman, I certainly would. <laughs> sorry, I'm trying. If I were Larry Clayman, I certainly would not want to put at issue in a trial whether my client is in fact a pedophile. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so that doesn't seem like a real good idea. That's count one. Count two is, and 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 I should add, when you have defamation per se, the only reason to have defamation per se is that it. Uh, alleviates your obligation to prove damages, right? Ah. So when you're trying to figure out how do we get to the 95 million, this, a, a, a per se defamation claim is not going to get you there because you're specifically saying, uh, I, I don't, I mean, it may, it may get you there if you're able to prove, uh, you know, the need for punitive damages, but I don't even know, I don't think there has ever been, one of our listeners can write in, I am virtually certain that there has never been a case of punitive damages awarded in a defamation lawsuit where the plaintiff is a public figure, right? Because mm. typically you get punitive damages by proving that the conduct was malicious, willful, extreme, you know, and and that's the baseline for what you have to prove a defamation lawsuit against a public figure anyways. Hey, folks, need to cut in to tell you about our sponsor, Vistaprint. Not sure if you know this about me, but I have a, a podcast or two, and I also attend conferences, conventions, that kind of thing. And there are all kinds of people who I might want to network with, and I do try to maybe interview or form a professional relationship with. The way to help make those connections and also let people know that you're someone to be taken seriously and someone who is professional is to have a nice business card to hand them. And Vistaprint is a great way to make that happen. The difference between making that connection and not could be huge, but the price to be ready for all of that is $10 because Vistaprint can give you that confidence to be ready to make an impression because you can get a custom card with the colors, the fonts, and the designs and the images you choose, all for 10 bucks. With Vistaprint, you can create a truly professional, unique card in minutes. Upload your own design or start with one of the professionally designed options that Vistaprint offers. And they also have simple tools and a wide range of templates to choose from. Pick the paper stock style and the quantity that's right for you. You also choose your delivery speed, order and receive your cards in as few as three days. 
Vistaprint uses only carefully selected inks and responsibly sourced paper stocks. They have dozens of designs that are just right for your business. Add your logo, contact information with just a few clicks and know you can use it all in your marketing going forward. Your satisfaction is 100% guaranteed or they'll make it right, either by reprinting your order or offering a refund. Vistaprint wants you to do something great for your business right now, which is why our listeners will get 500 high-quality custom business cards starting at $9.99. Use code OA at vistaprint.com. That's code OA at vistaprint.com. One more time, OA at vistaprint.com. Make it happen. Um, so so where would you one. even get this figure? Is it just, oh, as much as we can possibly ask? You know, like... Or let's say, or let's even say that everything's true. Like it was defamation, all that stuff. Like what would be an appropriate or what would we expect as an actual damages number? So do you want my answer or do you want <sighs> the answer that Larry Clayman gives? Because no, I can I tell you which answer, one's funnier. Because I, 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 yeah. know, I know that that's a, a, a BS answer. So you did you say mine or Clayman's? Oh, Clayman's. Sorry. Yeah. Yeah. Clayman's is hilarious. He says. Well, then uh, do this both. Is the, yeah. So this is the uh, concluding paragraph for each of the three causes of action, 32, 38, and 40, 32, 38, and 48. And so the, the claim that leads to damages, again, not specified, and I want to be clear, in a civil lawsuit, right, you, you don't have to directly line up in the complaint how you get from the complaint to the number that you've asked for. And as our patrons know from our commentary in Lawed Awful Movies, The Rainmaker, mm-hmm. um, generally speaking, in, in many states, you are limited to the damages you seek in your ad damnum clause, uh, for which the jury can return a verdict. So you have an incentive to ask for as much as you can possibly that ask. That sounds for. like a um, fake curse that a cartoon character would do. Ah, damn them. <laughs> well, there we go. Uh, that means damages sought. So anyway, a little bit of the Latin that I do know. Um, here's how Clayman has pled it. As a direct and proximate result of defendants and their agents' extreme and outrageous conduct, Judge Moore has been the subject of widespread ridicule and has suffered severe loss of reputation, which in turn has caused him, Miss Moore, Mrs. Moore, and his entire family of severe emotional distress and financial damage, especially given his status as a prominent conservative and a God-fearing person of Objection, faith. your honor. Can somebody prove that Roy Moore's reputation could physically possibly get lower? Can somebody demonstrate that? Well, that's that is why I mean, your objection there is why count one is pled as defamation per se. That is absolutely 100 percent correct <laughs> that you, you need to do that because uh, the the defense part of the defense, in addition to parody, is uh, you get it. Believe me, like we we are we are treading on well-worn ground yeah. here already. Your honor. Would you have to get like opinion um, so, polls before and after to prove like that his reputation? actually took yeah, a hit because I, I can't yeah, go his, lower. Right. Uh, but before, right, the, the his reputation after having lost to a Democrat in Alabama, <laughs> uh, I, I think I think you, you could take judicial notice of that fact. Um, so intentional infliction of emotional distress. Uh, I, I, I shouldn't have to go through all of this, um, but uh, it, it the elements of the claim for intentional infliction of emotional distress distress require extreme and outrageous conduct 
Um, and uh, it, it, well, in fact, I'll 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 do the specific one. I'll do it off the top of my head. But um, the the you have to act uh, intentionally. Um, it, that your conduct must be extreme and outrageous. It must be the direct cause of. Uh, and then the, the last element is of severe emotional distress and extreme and outrageous conduct are things like uh, I murder your family in front of you. Right. Like, I mean, that's a that's a real case. It was, I think it was or, actually a real uh, you question. put on some 80s music in front of me equally. It's, yeah. it's in the same. <laughs> there you go. S.I.O. That yeah. just lost oh, another damn, dollar lost on another. the Patreon. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about today's sponsor, which is Simple Contacts. You guys know two things about me, right? You know, number one, that I wear glasses and contacts, and number two, that I'm unbelievably busy all the time. And so I know this happens to you, but it happens to me pretty much every couple of years where I'm on that last pair of contacts that's been, you know, <laughs> I wear two-week disposables and, you know, I'll be stretching three weeks, a month, five weeks, whatever. I... I I'm down to my very last one and my prescription is expired and it's the end of the year and I'm trying to get everything ordered and taken care of. And now I've got to figure out a way to schedule an entire new eye doctor's appointment just to get another box of contacts. So that's why I'm super excited whenever we get sponsored by Simple Contacts because I think this is a really, really fantastic service. If you wear contacts and your prescription is expired, you can take a vision test. It's self-guided. It's online. It takes a couple of minutes and they charge you the grand total of 20 bucks for it. And then when you're done the vision test, you can order the contacts that you need it. I don't know about you. My copay when I see my eye doctor is more than 20 bucks. So this is totally the most convenient thing that has ever happened to me in the area of eye care. Um, I, I need to tell you, right? Like, don't take legal advice from a podcast. Here's here's the legal disclaimer. You still need to see an eye doctor in person, right? This is not meant to be a replacement for your periodic full eye health exam. But what they have is a test that was designed by doctors and licensed ophthalmologists. Uh, they make sure that your vision hasn't changed. And if it hasn't, you can order your contacts online. They ship in a couple of days. And they have absolutely every brand of contacts that uh, that I can imagine. I wear a pretty obscure, like kind of crazy prescription. And they had it no problem. And I got my contacts in five days. So... If you wear contacts, I think you should check them out. There are two ways you can do that. Uh, if you're a dinosaur like me, you can head on over to simplecontacts.com slash OA. Or if you're using their app, which is really, really cool, you just enter the promo code OA at checkout. But either way, you'll get $30 off your first order and Given that their exam is cheap and their contact prices are really, really competitive, that seems like a good deal to me. So again, what I want you to do is check out Simple Contacts. Head on over simplecontacts.com slash OA or enter the code OA at checkout and uh, and give it a try. Yeah, no, it, it is. The, the case law is rife that... Having somebody come on television and make fun of them on television uh, is 
not the kind of thing for which uh, you could possibly get intentional infliction of it definitely seems to be the go-to bs charges to put in a lawsuit or whatever though doesn't it it seems like they always do that and then you're like no that's not (laughs) and and the reason that that's the only way you get to the 95 million Ah, because you know the, the count one count one is defamation which again don't know why you would plead that and bring uh, your client's sexual history uh, into this lawsuit. I, I don't I don't I it is very, very hard to win on a motion to dismiss uh, on a defamation for reasons that we've talked about. But boy, if there's a case that could be uh, dismissed out on a motion to dismiss um, this, this seems this seems rife. Well, uh, now I'm because... thinking, is there any way we can get this to go to a trial so that Sasha Baron Cohen, yeah. first off, he can, you know, dress up as a wacky character. And then in character, <laughs> he could like, ma- let, let's argue the facts on whether or not he's a pedophile. <laughs> I, I, CBS, I, I strongly hope that CBS and Showtime are thinking, are like, okay, great. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We'll file an answer. Yeah. We will not move to dismiss. Because remember, there are certain things that you must raise at the outset uh, of a case being filed. That's beyond the scope of this segment. But there, there, the CBS and Showtime and Sasha Baron Cohen would waive no material defenses to this action by not moving to dismiss and just moving for early summary judgment and claiming that. The, <laughs> on, so, in other words, on whether they, or not Roy right. Moore is a pedophile. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, they could they could certainly move for the. Uh, the truth is because what you'd want is you'd want to keep the uh, the count one. You'd want to keep the libel claim. You'd want to kick out the intentional infliction of emotional distress. Um, so maybe, you move know, for I early, have a serious uh, question, though. Yeah, you, all that's correct. Mm-hmm. I, we all get it. Uh, yeah. uh, serious question, though. When when we say truth is an absolute defense and that's something I think we all as Americans anyway, is because that's very American. It's not true in other countries necessarily for defamation. But uh, truth is in absolute defense in this fake news era. What does that even mean? If I get, you know, if we interview or depose several of Roy Moore's victims, but you know, does that mean it's true? How do you evaluate truth? Who decides that? Okay. That's enough evidence to where we, the court decides this is a true thing to be an absolute defense. <laughs> How does that work? As far as I know, there are no court cases that have taken the Kellyanne Conway like, yeah, what is this truth thing anyway? Right. Like it. It. it, it, Yeah. Right. Uh, it, It. there's no such thing as alternative facts in libel law. Right. Like the the question is, because when we say truth is a defense, what we're really doing is picking apart the elements of the crime of libel, right? And the primary element of libel, slander, defamation, right? The, the, the primary element of any defamation claim is that you have made a false statement. So the burden is on the plaintiff in a civil trial. And again, remember that where that burden is allocated is important, but a civil burden is just 51-49, right? It's just mm. more, more likely than not. But the plaintiff must prove that it is a false statement. Ah. So that's the way in which I would approach in the sort of fake news era is um, you have not met your burden of proof that this is a false statement because it does, in fact, correspond to reality. And and that's how the court is is going to analyze it. 
The third cause of action here is a cause of action for fraud. Uh, and again, it, it, it illustrates, I think you were really, really perceptive on the IIED claim. Um, the issue with fraud is that you must plead fraud with particularity. Okay, it has a heightened pleading requirement. So, so in other words, um, for your average lawsuit, I can plead uh, a civil lawsuit. I can plead um, certain facts on information and belief. Right. And we've talked about me suing you before for trespass. Uh, and, you know, you your argument is you weren't on my property. And my argument is I'm pretty sure you were. Um, that meets the standard for. Uh, ordinary civil pleading, which is very, very liberal, right? And so the court's idea here is uh, what we want to do is allow people to come to court and sue for trespass and, you know, we'll have discovery. And if you really weren't there, we'll we'll figure it out and, and it'll be fine. Um, but certain things require a heightened pleading standard. And one of them is when you accuse somebody of fraud, you must identify the specific statements that were fraudulent. And here their argument is, um, that Sasha Baron Cohen's shtick, right, that this was a segment to be produced by Yerushalayim TV uh, <laughs> and that uh, he was uh, being flown out to receive an award for his support of Israel and to commemorate the 70th anniversary of its founding as a Jewish nation state. And then uh, and then we're sort of ambushed. Their argument is that that is fraud, that those were uh, the fraudulent statements that were used to get Roy Moore uh. on the show. Um, I would say there there are two things here at play, right? Number one, um, there is uh, a, a kind of the, the so the question is, does that amount to uh, the higher level of intentional falsity to satisfy the pleading requirements for fraud, um, or right? Is it you know? Part of their argument is going to be, come on, no sensible person could have taken, you know, Sasha Baron Cohen. You will be on Yerushalayim TV to commemorate anniversary of. I mean, you know, like we all have seen that. Right? I, That's I, don't, I don't Baron know. Cohen. I, I, you know, like he's good at these parodies, and he knows <laughs> he's, he's he's good. He also knows the weak points of of who he's targeting. You know, he knows that like Israel and like anti terrorism and all this stuff are soft spots in Republicans that he's going to be able to exploit. And and so the, then the question is going to be proving. So if if you show that these statements were, in fact, fraudulent. And, and again, I just want to emphasize what a high bar this is. I'll, I'll, I'll do by comparison um, when uh, Richard Dawkins and PZ Myers were recorded for expelled. Right. Expelled, they exposed. Were, <laughs> no, no, for the expelled movie, right? Oh, yeah. the original. But, oh, that's but, right. That's right. Ex right. Oh, that yeah. was the, okay. When, sorry. Yeah. So they they were uh, they both appear in the movie Expelled. You know, it's a it's a, a you know gotcha documentary. Um, they were approached by uh, the the organization which totally covered up. Uh, the fact that, you know, it was being put on by the Discovery Institute and that it was going to be a pro-Christian, right. uh, anti, you know, pro-intelligent design, anti-evolution movie. And and neither, you know, P.Z. Myers is a college professor, you know, so uh, maybe lack the means. Richard Dawkins does not lack the means to uh, sue someone for fraud. Um, the the fact that, uh, that no fraud lawsuits 
uh, were impending after that, I think, uh, kind of goes, illustrates sort of the the standard to which uh, journalists are held in uh, misrepresenting their relationships uh, with uh, with subjects. Um, it, it, you know, you see this all the time in terms of, you know, 60 Minutes and other ambush interviews, right? So um, I, I think, uh, again, that's going to be an uphill climb, I think, to prove that the statement was false to the level of fraud. Uh, but then if they do, right, then the next link in the chain is going to be, did that fraud, is is there proximate causation? Is the fraud what caused you to go out and, uh. Uh, and, and potentially appear? Or, you know, is it, I mean, that, that's why, you know, when, when you talk about the, um, uh, Sasha Baron Cohen being very, very good at probing their weak points, right? Like if there were other conditions around it, right? If it was, you know, yeah, w- w- what we did was we set up this, you know, big opportunity for him to come in and grandstand and he came in and grandstand, you know, like w- what a surprise, um, you know, that's that's going to sever the link in causation on the fraud claim. Uh, but of the three, right, the, the one that I think, you know, would... Uh, kind of give them the most pause is uh, the notion of, um, you know, you've you've fraudulently represented yourself as as something else and not disclose that the complaint does not attach, at least the public version does not attach the waiver itself. Right. Because, uh, you know, they obviously Roy Moore signed an agreement uh, uh, either a waiver or a contract to appear on the program. And I would want to take a look at, at that waiver. Uh, but, um, but I, I still, I, I still think if you are Sasha Baron Cohen, uh, you should consider that the, the, the t- don't take legal advice from a podcast. Certainly don't take legal advice from Thomas, but I think hey. you should consider the Thomas strategy, you know, of, uh, of, <laughs> Hey, of, I'm not the uh, one who saying, could yep. get disbarred for, a. Inappropriate kind of legal relationship. So feel free to take legal advice from me. What is there? You go. No no skin off my back. What's it going? (laughs) Take it at your own risk, everybody. So uh, really, really, uh, you you should watch the segment. You should read the lawsuit. It is super entertaining, and um, and it's it's good. It's good practice for uh, for our OA listeners who are looking for uh, a crazy uh, a crazy person bringing a lawsuit. I'm really I keep calling uh, uh, Larry Clayman uh, crazy because I really really want him to sue us for defamation for ninety five million dollars. <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, and I'm hoping that uh, if I repeat it enough times that that maybe he will. So mm. um, because we will not move to dismiss, we will absolutely uh, litigate yeah, on the basis that truth is a defense, and he is completely crazy. Fantastic. All right. Well, there you go. I'm looking for, I really do believe, take legal advice from a Thomas. That is my legal advice, taking advice to you. Uh, And my legal advice to Sasha Baron Cohen is take this thing to as far as you can go. Keep it, keep it in the news. (laughs) Keep it going. But in the meantime, we've got to thank our new patrons at patreon.com slash law, who I hope are enjoying that lot awful movies and all the other good stuff. Q&A, that bonus episode, and there could could be more bonus episodes in the future. We'll find out. But in the meantime, thank you so much to Sam, Xander, Miluski, Carolyn, Aaron, uh, Boucher, Boucher, I'm not sure, Rebecca, Unitic, Matthew, Powell, Ben, it was this or vitamins. <laughs> well, that's good because <laughs> I'm pretty sure vitamins don't really do anything. It's just me. That's... 
to check yeah, the no, research I think, on it. I mean, some for, you know, you know, like when you're, when you have a deficiency, but yeah. Right. Yeah. Dance the night away at the Catholic smoke ball. <laughs> Minute made V Manafort motions and lemonade. <laughs> oh gosh. <laughs> Rachel Vaughn, mm. no name. Sengen, TFB, Sean Afzal, James Redekop, Stephen Proper, Thomas Sibley, Mitchell Murphy, and Timothy Nimiak. Thank you guys so much. And thank you to the Leopard and the Lily Historical Podcast. Oh, I'm going to have to check that out. Sounds fun. SCOTUS, now hiring shark to come. I love that my love of Transformers has now spread out through the OA community. If you, too, love Sharktacons, head on over. Patreon.com slash law. Anyway, uh, Michael S. Dow, Caden Olweiler, Romanes Catholicus Catholic, Eunt Domus, Eric Cody Clark. I get all my mountaineering advice from a podcast. Ooh, yeah, we have never said don't take mm. mountaineering advice. Uh, Balticate. Brian Masters, Porn Shoulders and Whore Knees. Oh, that's a Bryce Blankenagle reference, so uh, uh, make sure you check that out. Erica Cordiero, a jurisprudence fetishist that got off on a technicality. That's, 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 that's a good uh, double-layer <laughs> law, law joke there. Uh, Nathan Buzax, Jeff Fitzgerald, Niall Jones, Daniel Crawford, don't take podcast advice from Catholics, Michael Forbes and Michael, what statute, what charge would? <laughs> Thank you all so much for supporting the show. We we really appreciate it. We could not do this show without Patreon support, and uh, we try and shower you with love uh, when you uh, when you shower us with uh, gifts of money. So it's a fair exchange, right? Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, folks. And now it is time to find out if my improbable streak is continuing on TGBE. Oh, no associate of this firm has ever failed the bar exam. No kidding. Yeah. So this was an evidence question. This was about a trial for a gang-related murder where the prosecution introduced as former testimony a statement by a gang member who testified against the defendant at a preliminary hearing and has now invoked his privilege against self-incrimination. So little... Kind of an interesting twist there, right? Prior testimony now says he's not going to testify. Uh, but uh, the defendant seeks to impeach the credibility of the gang member who is nevertheless not going to testify. So which of the following statements is the court most likely to admit? And Thomas, you thought this was an easy question. So mm. let's What a let's dummy see. I am. Huh? How it worked. You said uh, A was evidence that the gang member had three misdemeanor convictions for assault. And you said, pfft. Uh, we, in fact, already did this. This is the feeding the pigeons in the park like it's a misdemeanor conviction for assault. Um, and, you know, look like it, assault is bad. But uh, but no, that doesn't seem that doesn't seem relevant. Um, that is absolutely good dismissal um, under uh, Rule 609A2 of the Federal Rules of Evidence. Misdemeanor convictions are not admissible to impeach a witness unless they involved a dishonest act or a false statement. So oh, for that's future, why the like oh yeah see that I was yeah. I was wondering about that but also for future reference TCBEs is it just misdemeanor you know kind of is that what it, so if it's a felony then maybe it would be admissible or so if it were if it were a felony then you would that would uh, invoke the rule as to whether the probative value of the statement outweighs its prejudicial impact. 
right? So, um, so keep that one in mind. You could still right. argue, right, that a that a totally unrelated felony would right. be far more prejudicial than it would be probative of the matter. Um, but there's no per se rule of exclusion, like there is for ah. misdemeanors that do not involve dishonest acts or false statements. So, um, you know, a misdemeanor that does involve a false statement, like, say, lying to Congress, mm. keep that one in mind, uh, <laughs> is in fact uh, ad- admissible as impeachment, right? Because it, it bears on the... On the yeah, makes uh, sense. So, good, good dismissal. Then, uh, let's go to D, was, was the other one, I think, that you... Uh, had no problems dismissing out. You said uh, D was testimony by a witness that the gang member is a cocaine dealer. Uh, And you said, he's in a gang. I I would assume that being in a gang means that you deal cocaine. Um, And, uh, and, and, and here also good job uh, dismissing it out. Um, This kind of statement is, uh, is what we call bad act evidence, right? It is just saying, you know, to show that you are a cocaine dealer, um, you know, this is this is the equivalent. The, the, basically, what we're doing here is the analysis that uh, uh, you just asked me to do, actually, right? <laughs> because mm. cocaine dealing is a felony, but it's an utterly unrelated felony. Um, and so this is the kind of thing that you would keep out, uh, as I mentioned, on uh, on Rule 403 on the grounds that its prejudicial effect is um, uh greatly outweighs its probative value. Um, and in specific, there are a ton of cases that say um, prior evidence that you're a drug dealer is usually inadmissible for impeachment because, right, because juries go, oh, he's a drug dealer. He must be a liar. And like that doesn't follow, right? Like, you know, that, that, that you can be, yeah, you can be a very honest, honest drug, drug dealer. dealer. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so that leaves B, Testimony by a psychologist that persons with the gang member's background have a tendency to, to fabricate, to lie. Or C, testimony by a witness that at the time the gang member testified, the gang member was challenging the defendant's leadership role in the gang. Uh, you picked C, the leadership one, and you are in fact correct. The streak continues. Uh, that is classic impeachment because it is evidence of bias against the defendant. Right. So you're not introducing it because of the criminal background. Uh, You're not introducing it because it's prejudicial. You're you're introducing it because there's reason to believe that his testimony is biased. Um, And uh, the I I should I should add uh, this is here. I'm I'm going to read actually from the uh, from the bar examiners um, that uh, note that the gang member can be impeached even though he is not at trial to testify under Federal Rule of Evidence 806, which allows parties to impeach a hearsay declarant in the same ways that they would be permitted if the defendant were to testify. This is because a hearsay declarant is essentially a witness in the case. So uh, the fact that they're going to use the prior statement means you can impeach the prior statement, even though the witness who gave the statement is not actually there. Um, So. uh, So, yeah, I got that going forward. Um, I thought the psychologist was a good, attractive distractor because it was the most unlike everything else yeah right? that's actually that's a, were... something i was thinking of uh, um was the fact that a and d are so related you know it's hard it wouldn't make any sense for you know only one of them to be true kind of thing um but b just seems so bad i mean that yes <laughs> persons with the same background have a tendency to fabricate that's about the worst evidence i could possibly imagine of anything and 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 it is, in fact, the case that 
one of the things you you learn sort of early on in practice if if you are a civil litigator is that you uh, I mean, particularly if you know if you've got like my kind of background where you have these complex civil cases where you always get expert witnesses right and you get you get you get expert witnesses for all kinds of things um you cannot generally speak i i think there are a handful of of really really narrow exceptions but generally speaking you can't put on an expert witness for credibility because credibility is what goes to the jury right like it's mm. up to the jury to decide whether right. they believe a no, witness or not and to put on an expert to tell the jury you should not believe this witness has been held time and time again as usurping the role of the finder of fact right so uh, you you can't put on a jury to say, oh, yeah, people like this are people who lie all the time. Um, you can't put on an expert witness to tell a jury people who are like this lie all the time. So uh, I I was hoping that would trip up a bunch of folks. I wasn't hoping it would trip up you, of course. I was uh-huh, I was yeah. proud of you for uh, for sweeping through this and completely nailing it. Uh, but uh, I, this but was I like an to, easy question. I like to trip this, up our This listeners. was an easy yeah. one. But um, but, you know, they all count. They all count. What's my score? There you go. Your score is now 54 for 92. So you need wow. six right out of the next eight. Um, Two I, to give. I feel like you can do it. Seven in a row. Uh, oh, and, I've gotten seven in a row? S- seven in a row. Mm. And all you need is six more to get to 60% at the half. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I, odds-wise, I though, I need uh, 75% on the next you know eight questions. Yeah. So that's not... That's that's better than I've been do doing historically, but you know, I'm on a streak. Yeah, we'll see. But you're on a, you're on an upward incline. So, it depends uh, on how many real property uh, questions you give me, basically. <laughs> let me. Ooh, actually, let's let me take a look and see if in the next six Uh-oh. questions. Oh, so they're all planned out. They're not. They're not. This is not. Yeah. I. Oh, okay. I follow it in order. Yeah. Okay. There is one real property question. So. All right. That's gonna be a that's gonna be keep a that in mind. All right, that's gonna be like a mini boss. You gotta defeat the boss to get to the you know. That's that's a. <laughs> I get it. All right, well, um, cool. I'm really good at this bar thing, but who else is really good at this bar thing? Hop in your time machine and tell us the uh, <laughs> comparatively useless future information relative to other things we could be finding out of who is this week's winner of TTTB. Meanwhile, at the Hall of Justice. Well, Thomas, a lot of folks played along this week. A lot of correct answers, a fair number of incorrect answers, a lot of funny entries. But I think we're going to do a little old school right here, get to a uh, classic correct answer pithily stated. And that goes to Kat, who is at Burnout Trash on Twitter, who says, TTTB, C, past actions aren't relevant. His credibility in the current case is. Um, exactly right. Much more pithily stated than uh, I do <laughs> in this. And so congratulations, Kat. You are this week's winner. Everyone give that is at Burnout Trash a follow on Twitter. B-U-R-N-O-U-T-T-R-A-S-H. And congratulations for winning. All right. Well, congratulations to our uh, big winner. And also, thank you so much for listening. And thank you, Andrew, for Andrewing and our patrons, most of all, for making the show happen. We'll see you for a Rapid Response Friday. See you then. You betray the law! This has been Opening Arguments with Andrew and Thomas. If you love the show and want to support future episodes, please visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash law. 
If you can't support us financially, it'd be a big help if you could leave us a five-star review on iTunes, Stitcher, or whatever podcast delivery vehicle you use. And be sure to tell all your friends about us. For questions, suggestions, and complaints, email us at openarguments at gmail.com. The show notes and links are on our website at www.openargs.com. Be sure to like our page on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at OpenArgs. Until next time. Podcast is a production of Opening Arguments Media LLC. All rights reserved. Opening Arguments is produced with the help of our editor, Brian Ziegenhagen, production assistant Natalie Newell, and our unofficial researcher, Magpie. A special thanks to the moderators of the Opening Arguments Facebook community, Natalie, Alicia Cook, Eric Brewer, and Emily Waters. And also thanks to Thomas Smith, who wrote and produced all of the amazing music you hear, which is used with his permission. Every day, We rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers.